Do you enjoy our podcasts? Help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org. You'll find some great merch there, and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of Another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word, one verse at a time. Hello and welcome to episode two of our journey through the beginning of the book of Genesis. Last episode, we took a look at why we can trust Genesis and why we can be confident that what it says in it is true and historically accurate, and that those of us who call on Jesus Christ as our Savior absolutely must believe what Genesis teaches, because it is the Word of God, and the Word of God demands to be taken as a whole package. In other words, no one who claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can go through the scriptures and pick and choose what they want to believe. They must accept all of it because Jesus is the theme of the book. Jesus is the center of the book. And everything in the Old Testament points forward to his redeeming work on the cross. And the New Testament spreads the message of what he has done and looks forward to his return. And with that as our background, we're ready to jump into the text of this book of Genesis here. And we're going to start out exactly where you would expect. At the beginning, we're going to start out in Genesis 1.1, and it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you grew up in church, you most certainly memorized this verse at some point. It is probably pretty reasonable to think that Genesis 1.1 is one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. And the reason I say that is because this verse sets up a worldview that the world has been trying to destroy ever since these words were penned. And they've been trying to destroy it in many different ways. And we've seen the assault renewed very heavily in the last 200 years with the advent of modern science attempting to completely and utterly discredit the creation story as a myth. And the point of this episode is not to get into a debate about creation and evolution or to talk about the specifics of how long did it take God to create the earth? Is it truly six days or was it longer? And other debates that have raged around this topic for centuries. Just by way of disclosure, here at Another 12 Ministries, we do hold to a literal creation. We do hold to a literal six-day creation. But the point of this episode is not so much that. It is to point to the fact that scriptural authority in its entirety, rests on the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. Everything else rests on this truth. So if we deny the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, if we think that we came about by chance and that the universe sprang from nothing, and we choose to deny the fact that the opening words of Scripture tell us something vastly different, tell us that a great God, an all-powerful God, an eternal God, created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, then nothing else that Scripture teaches will resonate in our ears. Nothing else that Scripture teaches will impact our hearts because our hearts are hardened and have rejected the very truth that God created us and has written down in His Word our origin story. Because if God did not create the heavens and the earth, and there is no God, everything that we see, everything that we are, everything that we have came about by chance, 
then we live in a godless universe. We live in a place where there is no ultimate being. There is no ultimate source of authority. We live in a place where there is no ultimate truth. Human morality then becomes nothing more than a shifting code created by each new generation, each new culture, and constantly at strife with competing moral views. You see, the essence of rejecting this verse is not so much saying, well, I don't believe this because I think there's competing evidence that God didn't create the heavens and the earth, or I think there's no evidence that God is the creator. That's not actually at the core of rejecting Genesis 1-1. What's actually at the core of rejecting Genesis 1-1 is, I don't believe and I don't want God to be king over my life. I want to be king over my life. I want to set up a world, a reality, where I rule, where what I want goes, and where what I want has no repercussions for eternity. And why does it have no repercussions for eternity? Because if the world came from nothing, if the universe came from nothing, if we're all here by chance and an accident, then the reality is that there is no eternity. So then it doesn't matter how I live my brief 60 to 70 or 80 years on this earth. And so you can begin to see why, for those of us who claim to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, rejecting the truth of Genesis 1-1, God's creation power, God's creation story, is completely inconsistent with the Christian life. Because the whole point of the Christian life, the whole idea of serving Jesus, of following him, is that he is bringing us salvation from death to life eternal. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Christians are not just a bunch of people who are following Jesus so they can get something out of it. The reality is is that a saving relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. It is a relationship that is more fulfilling, more blessed than any other relationship a human can have. We have a God who cares so much about us that he came and died on a cross to save us from our sins. And as a result of this relationship, purely on his own merit and on his power, he has promised to come back and take us to be with him in heaven. Well, that necessitates an eternity. And if he has the power to take us from this place, to save us from death, and to bring us to a new earth that he's going to make, and he's going to live with us there forever in eternal bliss, then it only stands to reason that he created this earth. How could he create the next earth if he did not create this one? And so you can clearly begin to see that to reject creation, to reject the origin story that Genesis 1-1 tells us is the truth of what actually happened, where we actually came from, is to deny Christ in his entirety. His existence, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promised return. And yet, the modern world is full of people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet reject the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. They embrace this idea that the earth came about by chance, that humans came from nothing, that everything that we see is not the result of intelligent design, is not the result of a loving God who specifically crafted this planet for humans to live on, who specifically made the animals, who specifically made us in his own image. Instead, they choose to believe the words, the theories, the hypotheses of mortal men and women who are fallible over God's words. Now, we could have a lengthy philosophical discussion as to why this is. We could talk about why would someone who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ, who claims to look forward to the hope of eternity, 
reject the scripture's teachings that God created the universe. But we're not going to do that because there isn't enough time and this isn't really the right place to do that. But it's an interesting thought and an interesting discussion to have. And there have been many godly men and women who have written lots of books and had lots of discussions about this very topic. And I encourage you to look into it because it's something that you should understand. And it goes back to the idea of idolatry. It goes back to the idea of taking God off the throne and putting oneself on the throne. And that really is the core of idolatry, isn't it? Self-worship. It's the highest form of idolatry. But instead of having that discussion, we're going to look at two supporting passages of Scripture that really explain why those of us who claim to be believers must accept Genesis 1-1 as truth. Because they go back to the core topic. They go back to the core issue that separates man from God. They tie into the center point of the entire gospel message. See, at the end of the day, we encounter a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. It is faith that comes from God that actually gives us the ability to recognize our sinful condition, our fallen condition, to go before him in humility, full of sin, and to say, I believe you, I trust you, please give me the forgiveness that I need. I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person and I need the work of Jesus Christ to cover my sin. Without that, there's no relationship with God. We can't have one. The scriptures are really clear when they say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is at the core of all of it. And the whole issue of people rejecting what the scripture teaches about the origins of the universe come down to a faith question. And I think Paul broke this down extremely well for believers when he wrote in Romans 1, 18-23, these words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul's argument at its core is incredibly simple. You don't need to have proof of God's creation power. All you need to do is look around you. All you need to do is see the incredible beauty of the creation that he has made, the intricacy of the human body, the incredible plan and design that God has used in creating the earth, the animals, the trees, the plants, the solar system. All you need to do is look at a sunrise spread across the sky or see a mountain chain in all its glory covered with snow or consider the ocean, how the ocean rages but never overtakes all the land. How there are boundaries set. How there are laws that govern the universe. How a brick doesn't suddenly float and how ice doesn't sink. All you need to do is look around you and consider the majesty of creation and you will find the truth that God created it. You will find the order of a genius mind far exceeding the intelligence, wisdom, and foresight of even the most brilliant creature that exists on this earth. 
you will see that the size and scope of the universe is far beyond anything that a mortal being could create or even conceive of. The fingerprints of God are spread all across his creation. And Paul says it's so evident that God created the universe just by looking at it that the universe alone invalidates any excuse of any human who would say, well, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't think there was a God. I didn't think there was a God that was powerful that I needed to give worship and honor and reverence to. Paul says, no, you had to know. Look at the universe. Look at the creation. You had to know because God has left his fingerprints in every corner of the cosmos. Now, that being said, I understand. I understand that in our technological world where we think that we are highly enlightened, it can be tempting to look at those who claim that they can prove that the universe did not come from a creator. They can prove that the universe did not come from God. Now, that kind of boasting is not accurate because no one can prove where the universe came from. In fact, God is the only eyewitness to the origin of the earth, and he has given us that eyewitness account in Genesis. But I can understand in the frailty of our human hearts where we might say, well, how can I believe that? How can I know that this is true? How can I know that I'm not being drawn into this fanciful scheme to believe in a fairy tale God that doesn't exist? Well, Scripture has that answer for us. Scripture clearly lays out the answer to this question, and it does it in Hebrews 11. In the very beginning of the chapter, it says these words, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, it is faith. It is faith that allows us to know the truth. And the author of Hebrews here, I think, was incredibly intelligent in how he crafted this passage. Now, I understand he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit also does work through the skills and talents of the authors of Scripture. And here he gives this incredibly beautiful argument for faith, but he doesn't just say, well, have faith, and then you'll know. See, he gives a case study. He says, faith is the assurance of things unseen. In other words, how do we know that something's real? Well, we have faith in it. But he doesn't leave the modern reader there. He says, look back at the old stories. Look back at the people who had faith 5,000 years ago because their faith proved true. They had faith that a Messiah would come. They had faith that God would send a Messiah to die for the sins of the world and to make peace between man and God. And people back then in that time could have called them crazy. They could have said, well, you're nuts. That's never going to happen. That's a ridiculous, fanciful fairy tale, just like they say today about the return of Jesus or the creation, for that matter. But those Old Testament heroes, those people who had faith, who had assurance through faith, it was proved true. A Messiah did come. Jesus did appear. He did die. He did rise again. He did ascend into heaven. And we have an entire book of the New Testament to tell us all about what he taught and what the result of his ministry was. So the writer of Hebrews here isn't saying, hey, just believe it. Believe it and then you'll know. He's saying, hey, you should believe it through faith, through true faith in God, because true faith in God has been proved out even within human history. It has proved itself to be accurate. And so based on that, you can have faith in the word of God. You can have faith in what God says 
So much so that it's an assurance. It's a guarantee. In other words, the author of Hebrews is making an incredibly bold statement here. And I think that's why the author uses creation as his example. He's saying, look, faith in God has been proven out throughout history. People have had faith. Their faith was genuine. And it was rewarded by the fact that what they believed would happen actually happened. And because of this, faith in the same thing, faith in God, can give us the assurance of things not seen. And the example I'm going to give you is this, creation. The author of Hebrews knew he didn't see creation. His audience didn't see creation. But faith in God is not void. Faith in God is true. Faith in the promises of God are true. Faith in the words of God is true. So we can depend through faith and have assurance, have a guarantee that our faith is in things that are true. And that's his whole argument here. And that's exactly why I said in the beginning, it is impossible to say, I have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation but I don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth like it says he did in Genesis 1.1. I reject that. It's an impossible position. Now, I grant that it might be difficult for some of us to believe it. I grant that faith is a struggle, and maybe you find that that's your struggle. Maybe this is something that you really have an issue with. Maybe this is something that you just struggle before God to believe. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you also need to understand that Jesus Christ is the word of God through which the earth was created. It's the same person, and he is calling you to trust his words. He is calling on you to believe what he has said about himself. If you're struggling with this reality, if the creation story of Genesis is a sticking point for your faith, I would encourage you to humble yourself before God and ask him to give you exactly what the writer of Hebrews describes, assurance that comes through true faith in God, and in his word. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train ministry leaders to bring the gospel to all people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.